Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, and good morning, church. Happy New Year, Sunday Philoc. It's great to start the year with you together in this place in person, um, which we don't take for granted anymore. I'm looking forward to 2022. It's been a rough couple of years. I remember January of 2020, we had some friends visiting, and we said, there's this coronavirus thing. You might have to wear a mask. You know, it might probably not that big of a deal. And two years later, here we are. I don't know what you did on New Year's Eve. We had kind of a small little celebration at home. We had a couple friends over. We were playing board games. And we were watching the live feed from the West Kowloon Cultural District, watching the band Mirror and Aga. I had to look up some of these. I was like, who is this? And the singer's on stage, and we're like, wait, it's like one minute to midnight. They should be doing the countdown. And so we just spontaneously did our own countdown and then realized we were in the live feed, but they had started us an hour late. And so we replayed the countdown again and again so we could get the right selfies and celebrate as Hong Kong was. We kind of had this stumbling into 2022 type experience. And yet we know God is in this year. He's in this place. He's in the stumbling. And God is at work, church. God has not stopped working in COVID. And he has good things in store for us in this year. Today is our second week on the three big questions. Joe kicked us off last week on the difference Christ makes in our life. If you didn't hear that, do go back and look at it. Today, we talk about who am I? Next week will be belonging. Where do I fit in? And the third week is on meaning and purpose, the final week. So this is a part of a conversation, as Pastor Brenda was saying, we want to invite people into whether they have an experience of the church, whether they don't yet know Jesus, or whether they do, we want to encourage you to bring people into this conversation, into this time. So who am I? What does God have to say about your identity? We're going to look at that today. What does the world say about your identity? Parents, teachers, your boss. We can start comparing ourselves with others, their stage of life, the things they've achieved. And comparisons is toxic to our identity. We can feel inadequate. And the enemy would love for us to feel inadequate. But that's not God's intention for us. Do you ever feel like you don't measure up? You're not enough. You're unacceptable. You're not worthy. Maybe you feel the pressure to be perfect, to look perfect, to do just a little bit better in your job, a little bit better in the home. Maybe you feel judged from those around you for not being perfect enough in your Christian walk. Maybe you don't feel like a good enough mom, a good enough dad, a good enough son or daughter. This is what God wants to speak into, friends, because God's message is so different from the world's. Those types of self-critiques can erode our identities in God. They chip away at who God wants you to be. So let me pray as we begin. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, brings home to us, God, the way you see us, the way you shape us, God. May you speak to each one of us and wherever we might be at today with that question, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So how does grace shape your identity? 
this is an important thing for us. I originally saw this from a person who, who came up with this, I think about 50 years ago, Frank Lake, and I've adopted it from that. Um, this first step is being accepted, being loved by God. We see this type of love from our creator. We see this in 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God was the first mover in the relationship between him and us, right? In your human relationships, do you remember a time if you've got a close relationship where somebody said, I love you first? It's kind of a risky move, right? Because you don't know if it's going to be reciprocated. But God tells us he's the first one to say it. He loves you. Now, we get a choice to whether we reciprocate that love or not, but know that God the Father is communicating that to you, wants you to know that. I can remember when I was early in my Christian journey and wrestling with this concept of grace, wrestling with this idea of acceptance and really not feeling acceptable to God or really to anyone. But I can remember the moment where the truth sort of became true to me, that it all of a sudden was God loves me right here, right now, in this moment. He's not waiting for me to be some better future version of myself, then will love me. And it shifted my whole paradigm in how I related to God. It was a different starting point. See, we see this dynamic in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see Mark 1:11, the Father saying this to the Son. A voice came from heaven, you are my Son who whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, this was the Father speaking to Jesus at the time of baptism, and the timing of this message is really important. See, Jesus hadn't yet been doing his ministry. He hadn't yet done any miracles, fed 5,000, right? He hadn't healed people. And the Father is saying, this is my son, and I am well pleased with him. See, Jesus was going to face incredible suffering, incredible human rejection. And I am sure that these words were near to his heart. Everybody around me may leave, but I am loved by my Father. Not for the things that I have done, not for the miracles I have performed, not for how many followers I have. I am loved before any of that. Our journey is not to make ourselves worthy of God's love. He already says we are. He loves us right now. If we were, be a, if we were able to earn God's love, we wouldn't need really God, right? We wouldn't need his grace. This is what grace is. It says, I have loved you before you even knew me. See, we're accepted. We're loved. We're welcomed in. And then we have the chance to be the second mover in the relationship. We have a chance to respond to that acceptance, ex respond to that love. And we do that in worship, living out our lives in front of God as that response. Coming to this worship service on a Sunday morning or online, we get to be that second responder 
because we open ourselves up to God's grace when we do that. We open ourselves up to that relationship, and that grace shapes our identity. It gives us sustenance in our relationship with God and in our life. That's this flowing out of this acceptance is this sustenance. And we see so many passages on this, but just Psalm 23 as one example. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. See, the sheep here is so satisfied being with the shepherd that he can just lie down in the grass Walk beside the water. He's not eating the grass. He's not drinking the water. He is so satisfied with the presence of his shepherd that it sustains him. It's a metaphor for our walk with God that that is a sustaining presence in our lives. Spending time with God is important. It's part of that second move. It's opening ourselves up and living in response to that grace. Dallas Willard talks about it this way, needing to immerse ourselves in God's grace. He says, you cannot take a shower one drip at a time. Have you ever tried doing that? About a month ago, a water pipe burst from the street coming into our building. I was taking a shower. And all of a sudden, you know, I've got the shampoo in the hair and the water pressure just plummets. And there was a trickle of water coming out, but it is not sufficient to get the soap out of your hair, right? And, and this is how it is in our relationship with God. We don't need just a trickle of God here and there. That is not enough sustaining grace, enough nourishment for our souls. We need to immerse our lives, right? And it's not just coming to church. This is a part of it. It's, it's being involved in community. It's using our gifts, but it's recognizing that God is with you in all of life. He sustains you in the workplace, in the home, in the school. It's living your entire life in response to that acceptance from God. What are the things that fill your soul with God's sustaining grace? Is it connecting to God in nature? Is it digging into God's word? Is it singing songs? Take part in those things. Immerse yourself in that grace, that sustaining grace for your identity because Jesus doesn't want you running on empty, just getting enough to get by. He wants to fill you to overflowing with who he is. I'm not a big New Year's resolutions type person, but it is a good time to take stock of life and where you're at and where would you want to be in a different place by the end of the year? And I would encourage you, take stock of your tank. Is it empty? Is it full? Are there practices you need to open yourself up to to receive more of who God is and his grace in your life? You will not be disappointed in spending the time to do that. And that moves us to the third part of our identity, how grace shapes it as significance. If I ask you to tell me about yourself, how might you answer that? Think for a moment when you meet somebody. Tell me about yourself. What are some of the things that you talk about? Now, it's, uh, it's hard to avoid talking about your work, or if you're a student, your student. It might be difficult to avoid naming a role that you play. Father, son, spouse, partner, worker, employee, business owner. Those things are not unimportant. But do you have an identity outside of work, 
outside of a role that you play? Do you have an identity beyond those things? Because the world doesn't really look at us for an identity beyond those things. See, significance is about who you are before it's about what you do. This is an important concept to how grace shapes us. Significance is more about who you are before it's about what you do. See, Scripture contains so many wonderful um, examples of speaking out this truth. In Psalm 139.14, we see this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. David is speaking this truth about who we are as God's creation, that we are created in the image of God. Are we created mediocre? No, wonderfully. Created in the image of our creator. You are significant right now in God's eyes. You are significant. Whatever you might be involved with, things that are tripping you up, tangling you, a hard year, a hard day, walking in a direction that is not helpful for you, you are still significant in God's eyes. He's not waiting for you to do something wonderful before he will call you wonderful. He's telling you that right now. How has God created you? What type of personality has he given you? What are the things that fuel you? Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean there are things that we um, don't need to learn and grow in. Uh, We all do. We all have things we need to work through things we need to improve upon, but those aren't the things that make us wonderfully created. Those aren't the things that make us loved by God. Each of us has been created with meaning and for a purpose, and this leads us to our our fourth point on how grace shapes our identity. Achievement, there are things for us to do. We see Paul tell the Ephesians in 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created in the image of God to be a part of what God is doing in this world, whether it's in your workplace, your school, your community, your home, or your church. You don't have to wait to start doing these good works, right? You don't have to wait to learn something more, to to take a class before you can be a part of what God wants you to be doing right now. You have gifts that God has given you that he intends you to use, to exercise, to serve. We have so many opportunities, whether it's inside the church, being an usher, welcoming people into this place, right? If you've got a smile, right, you can be an usher, right? People are like, I don't know what to do. Just smile and greet people, right? Even if you get, you know, the other parts wrong, I don't know where the bathrooms are. That's an easy one to figure out, right? Just a smile and welcoming people in or in the PowerPoint. I'm always so thankful for those in the booth, right, on the PowerPoint. I do not have the gift of running a PowerPoint. But other people do, right? Whether it's prayer ministry, working with our kids or our youth, there's so many ways that God wants to involve you in what he's doing. See, I love the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is like, okay, what, are, you know, what should we do here? And the, the disciples are like, we don't got enough food. We, don't have, we can't do it. And Jesus says, go and look for what we do have. Like, All right, whatever, right? And this little boy comes up and he's got a few things, right? Probably enough for himself. 
And if I was that boy, I'd be sizing up the situation. This is my lunch. <laughs> There's no way this is going to feed everybody, right? I don't have enough. I'm going to take it for myself, right? But he doesn't. He offers it up. He doesn't hold it back, right? And Jesus makes it enough. Jesus makes his gift enough for what he intends to do with it. And it's the same way God works in our lives. God makes it enough. We bring our offerings. We bring our service. And Jesus makes it enough. We're not achieving to be significant. We're achieving out of our significance already. This last two months, we've been having council people share about their journeys, some of their stories, some of their testimonies, and we're going to have a, another sharing today and the next week and the next week. And I've asked council to share related to the topic that we're talking about, and Drew is going to share today about his identity as a Christian, what that means to him. Let's have a listen now. Hi, good morning. Um, I must say, I find it very difficult when I'm asked to give a testimony, mainly because when I look back on my life, I, I can't think of a time uh, when I was not aware of God's love in Jesus. I, I can't remember a time that I didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died for me on the cross uh, and was resurrected so that I can have a relationship with God. Having said that, I, I don't believe that this just happened, but it is a product of many generations of prayerfulness of Christian family. And much of my uh, testimony is wrapped up with uh, my knowing Jesus from, from the beginning. One of the hardest questions I find uh, to answer when meeting new people is, where are you from? In a physical sense, uh, the story is a little compli complicated, but not nearly as complicated as many stories I have heard here in Hong Kong. Uh, I was born in Scotland uh, of uh, Scottish and English parents. Uh, I lived there until I was two, so barely. Moved to England until I was five. Uh, Belgium until I was six, when we moved to Zaire, uh, which is now the DRC. Um, and my parents were missionaries there. Uh, at eight, I was sent up to Kinshasa to boarding school and at 13 to boarding school in southeast London. I didn't feel I had any particular roots. Um, and and it, school in England, um, I was being bullied for being from Zaire. Uh, and I quickly latched on to an explanation that I was Scottish, which uh, attracted only minor bullying. <clears throat> on reflection, though, and thinking about uh, the testimony this morning, there's one constant through all of this shifting um, is that I felt very deeply that I was a child of God. I firmly believed and identified with Jesus as my culture. So if I'm answering truly the question, where are you from? I would have to say that I'm a Christian, but it's a very difficult answer to give someone in the pub or at work and if I was to say, I'm a Christian first, what does that mean? It's quite difficult to describe um, what are the characteristics, what does it mean, 
how do we do things, how do we make decisions. I guess the easiest way is to illustrate this, perhaps with the story of how we came to Hong Kong, how God was in that whole uh, decision-making process. I, I often say that I was sent here by work or that I worked here in the early 2000s on a temporary basis and wanted to come back. And while these things are true, they're only really part of the truth. After returning to London in 2002, I qualified as a lawyer. Bex and I got married, we had children, and really the experience in Hong Kong was a, a distant memory. Hong Kong was not on our agenda. After Bex and I were married, we joined a small Baptist church in Hackney in East London. We were very, very involved in the church uh, and felt very called to be part of that community. Bex and I were both on the leadership team at various times. I was involved in preaching. She was deeply involved in, in the community work there. On the work side, although I was progressing well at work, I was coming to perhaps a turning point in my career. Um, it was 2011. Um, I had been passed over for promotion twice already um, and the situation was get, getting a little bit stressful. Um, if I was not going to be promoted, the message was clear, I was not wanted at the firm. So I began to look for other jobs. In the autumn, I got to the very final stages of two extremely good jobs based in, in Moscow. Um, these were an ideal fit on paper. I, I'm a Russian speaker. Um, financially, they were very attractive. Um, it looked like a, an exciting adventure. And these would have been a, a major step forward for me in, in my career. At the same time, I was preaching as part of a series on the Book of Esther. And you'll recall the main uh, story of the Book of Esther is how God works through Esther to prevent the massacre of the Jewish people living in the Persian Empire. Uh, but there's another part of the story, and, and that's the bit that I was preaching on, um, and that's the life of Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai was Esther's uncle, uh, Esther's uncle who uh, was a godly man and had managed to place Esther in the palace. Um, but one of the things that he'd told Esther was always to hide your nationality. Um, uh, and in hiding her nationality, she was able to uh, be promoted and eventually intervene in, in the plot to exterminate the Jews. But Mordecai himself had, early on in the book, had uncovered a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai had not been rewarded for his loyalty at the time. His reward came much later. Um, and it was precisely because of the timing of this reward that spoke so deeply to Bex and me. It was the timing that suited God's plan. It was the timing that intervened in um, the plan to massacre the Jewish people. Uh, and it was through this timing that God honored Mordecai um, and uh, saved his people. So this story really spoke deeply to uh, both of us about my work situation at the time. Um, I had to speak to the recruitment consultant and explain um, why I had to turn the jobs down. It was a very awkward conversation um, and I'm not sure that she understood my um, 
explanation that, that, that it was for spiritual reasons that I didn't feel that I could move forward. But we were left with no plan. Uh, we had no idea what was going to happen, uh, whether I would be promoted, whether there was any future in the job. Um, we just had to step forward in, in trust. It was a few months later that my boss actually asked me if I'd ever considered working in Hong Kong. It was a bit um, of a shock, to be honest. Um, my business was all in Russia and Africa. Hong Kong was clearly far away from uh, the, uh, our, our plans. But we felt very much that this was what God had been speaking to us about through the Book of Esther. So very much, Bex and I feel that we were called to Hong Kong. Although sometimes it's very difficult to know why uh, and to know what the purpose is. Uh, it doesn't mean that living in Hong Kong has always been fun or easy. In fact, at the moment, it's a very stressful place to live. Uh, we're not able to obviously travel to visit families. We're working with stressed out uh, colleagues and children, um, clients. And we're working in a city which is going through its own identity crisis. But we do feel that we have an identity that goes beyond being expats, Brits, Hong Kongers. We have an identity that we've chosen, an identity that is rooted in God's love, rooted in generations of family. And that we know whatever the path that lies before us, we know who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Drew. <clears throat> For sharing really mid-story, not knowing the why, and yet trusting that God had called you here and in his purposes and in his timing, it was the right thing. And I'm for one, I'm glad that you are here and that you are a part of this church and you're doing the work that you're doing Drew's identity as a Christian is what motivated his decisions to be here, amongst many other things. As believers, and if you are believers, this Christian identity is core to who we are. If you're on the outside looking in, you're asking questions, and that's good to do, because as we step into that relationship, it becomes a core part of who we are and how we do life. And this how does God shape our identity is so key because I want to look now at how does the world shape your identity? Primarily, initially, through achievement. Now, when a baby is born, the baby is loved for who it is, right? It hasn't done anything. It cries, it poos, it, it does things like that. And hopefully all of us were born into an environment where we were loved as a baby, right? Just because of who we are. Unfortunately, that type of love does not last very long, right? There's things to do. There's developmental milestones to achieve. There's good preschools to get into, which will lead to good primary schools, which will lead to good secondary schools and a good university and a good job. The list goes on and on about the pressure to achieve. And that becomes a key ingredient 
to our identity. Now, most of you probably did well at achieving. You got good marks in school. You received much praise for your accomplishments from your parents and from your teacher. Maybe you even became addicted to achievement and hard work, because why? Because it gave you a sense of significance. This is who I am. I'm a top student. This is who I am. I do well at this. But God never asks us to be successful. He never says your success is why you're significant to me. He asks us to be what? To be faithful. To be faithful. God calls Jeremiah to speak prophetically into the people, and and he actually tells Jeremiah, the people aren't going to listen. That's a tough call. (laughs) This is what you've got to do, but... I'm telling you in advance, people's hearts aren't going to change, but you still do it. He wasn't asking for success from Jeremiah, but he was asking for his faithfulness. Now, success isn't wrong, but it's not the primary goal. When our identity depends on success, what temptations might we face? If our identity depends on success... What temptations do we face? Certainly, we, temptation, we face temptations to disregard those things that might prevent success. Living according to kingdom values that we were talking about in the Kingdom Now series. Things like the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Being faithful sometimes will work in opposition of your success. I was reading an, an article this week in The Atlantic commenting on a speech that Donald Trump Jr. gave to a bunch of Christian followers of Trump. And he says, this Jesus thing isn't getting us anywhere. We've been too nice. We need to be harder. We don't really have to do that Sermon on the Mount because it's not leading to success. And to be honest, he's probably right. It's not the pathway to success, but that is not what God calls us to. He calls us to faithfulness. What message has the world given you about how you need to achieve, whether it's parents, teachers, a boss, a partner? To be smarter, to be better, to be different, to be less like yourself and more like they want you to be. See, we can get on this treadmill of significance, right, of achievement leading to significance, and if it's working for us, we'll never get off. If life falls apart then we might rethink, is this really helpful for me? If it's working for us, we may never question it until it doesn't work anymore. Why? Because it can be very sustaining. We get praise, we get accolades, we get raises, right? And it fuels us. But we might not know ourselves outside of a work, outside of a relationship, when those things, we are dependent upon our work or our relationship for our identity, they will pull too much of the gravity towards them. Work at all costs, being in this relationship at all costs, trying to get a relationship because if I'm not married, then I'm less worthy, less significant. I can remember when Erica and I, now Eric, if you don't know Eric and I, we started dating when I was 16 years old, all right? I'm a little ways from that now. 
But we reached a point where we actually broke up. And it was devastating to me because even in that young, you know, person that I was, I began to craft my identity around this relationship. This is a part of who I was. And yes, it is a part of who I was, but it was pulling too much of my identity towards it. And we can do that in our relationships. We can do that in our work. Now, obviously, Erica and I got back together. Uh, we've been married for 28 years now. Um, but it was an important lesson for me to learn early on. Why? Because the world says, now you are accepted. You have achieved well, right? And that success is sustaining you. And now you are lovable. And we do often, sometimes, and I've talked to people, I only felt loved when I was getting top marks in school. Right? I only felt loved when I was living perfectly. And this is how the world works. And religion can work that way too, friends. Maybe we only feel God's love when we have done our quiet time every day, when we've served, when we've done something like that. Now, all those things are good things, but God's not waiting to love you in order for you to do those things. He loves you already, and we live in response to that love. Now, some of you might be saying, Pastor Wade, does it matter how I live then? Does it matter the choices that I make? Yes, those things still matter. Right? Sin is never a helpful thing to us to walk in. Right? Living the Sermon on the Mount is not an easy thing to do, but it brings what God's heart is for us to live that way in the kingdom. And when we don't live according to God's plan for us, it is harmful to us. But living perfectly is not the means of which God loves us. We are saved by grace through faith not by works. And some of you might be thinking, you know, this is, this is, in fact, how the world works, but how do I deal with things that I, I've done in my past? We have all made mistakes, and my encouragement is to deal with those things. We don't just pretend they're not there if they're still entangling us. Walk through forgiveness. Walk through the unforgiveness. Get healing. Talk about it. Learn from it. Grow from some of those mistakes. See how God might redeem it. Because here's the truth. Your past does not define you. Your past mistakes or your past accomplishments do not define you. They do describe you. They describe things you've done. But they don't define who you are, not in God's eyes. God's primarily way of seeing you, as we've seen, is through his love and through his grace. Your past doesn't define you, good or bad, accomplishments or failures, applause or critique. The starting point for your identity is God's grace. Jesus thinks you are enough. He's not waiting to love you once you become enough. He's with you right now. And walking in God's grace, walking with that identity, frees us up to walk with others with the same posture, to view them with God's grace because God's grace has been so generous for you. It's being secure in your identity in God, which frees you from comparison, 
which frees you from looking at somebody else's life and, and wishing it was more like theirs and not feeling enough. It frees you to love others well because you are loved. Jesus says you're enough. He is generous with his grace. We don't earn it, but we receive it. Let's pray, church. God, I thank you that you, in fact, are enough for us that you so want to shape our identity with your amazing grace, God. God, I pray for our church in this year of 2022. We know the challenges will be there. We know it will not be an easy year, but we know you are in it with us, God. And I pray that you help us grow individually and as a community in your grace, God. I pray that we would be people shaped by it, that we would see ourselves primarily with the way you see us, God. May you amaze us with the work that you're going to do this year in your name. Amen.